the Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 79, Wellness and Courageous Conversations with Evan Whitehead. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle, my friend, how are you? Doing excellent, my friend. How are you, sir? I am good. This is episode 079 of the Beer EDU podcast. I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BDixonNV. And you, my friend? I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AndersonEdTech, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. I am also the author of To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking. Learn more about that at ToTheEdgeEDU.com. And then you can also find that on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And there's also an Instagram for that to the edge edu. And because this is the beer edu podcast and we're episode 79, we got beers. Ben, what do yes. you have today, bud? So I am going with a shocker every time I'm going with an IPA and it is a stone brewery out of San Diego. One of my all time favorites. Uh, I'm going with their Tiki escape beer. And if you're watching on Facebook live, it's got a cool little tiki guy on there and it's a standard uh ipa you know it's you know with a sabro and mosaic hops so it's kind of kind of got a lot of citrus in it and it's a 7.7 percent abv 80 ibu um pretty standard for you know a little little on the higher end with the alcohol content from some ipas but yeah pretty solid and and pretty good but I'm more excited about the beer you have. So, so let's just go to that because mine's not that exciting. Um, well, that does sound like a pretty good IPA. I've not, I've not heard of the yeah. Sabro hops. I'm going to have to look that one yeah. up here in a little bit. So to see what that one's all about. But um, I have a beer from Bad Beat Brewing in Henderson, Nevada, about a mile from my house. Um, uh, this one is called Black is Beautiful Imperial Stout. Now, this one, it's it's a burner. It is 10.5% ABV. Ooh. <laughs> yep, so we are in the double digit on the alcohol content. No IBU listed on this one, but this one, it's surprisingly thin for a stout and one that's this heavy. So like when I poured this, I'm expecting like Pennzoil 10W30 to come out of the can, and it, it wasn't. It's very thin, actually. There was like no head retention, and it's very carbonated, which I found really surprising, but a lot of really dark chocolate notes to it, a little bit of coffee okay. on it almost like a burnt molasses is what I'm picking up on it too. Ooh, it yeah. is. I mean, and because it's thinner and not that really right. viscous, like I was expecting this is pretty darn drinkable. It's, I, it's not a lawnmower beer by any means, right. but no, this is pretty crushable. So, but there's a really interesting uh, reason behind yes. this beer. So, and we're going to get into this more when we do the learn about segment here towards the end of the show, but Basically, this is a beer that uh, over a thousand breweries in the country are doing right now, and there's a cause behind the beer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that and save it for the end of the episode yep. as to yep. what this is all yeah, about. Yep. But um, definitely, want to know? You got to listen all the way through to the learn about segment. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yep. So no, I, and I'm really excited to talk about this one because this is something that is um, um, it's an amazing cause what right. this uh, what this beer is all about. So. Uh, so right. you and I got beers and we, we have a guest 
that is going to join us as well that um, is excited to share his beer as well. So Ben, why don't you introduce who we have joining us today? So we have tonight joining us, we have Evan Whitehead. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. And Evan, what what do you have tonight that, uh, that you're drinking? Share so, with us. Sure, definitely. So um, I did, I'm doing something, something a little different. And um, as I, I was talking to you guys before we went um, live, um, I actually do not drink alcohol anymore. However, I still, I still like the taste of a good beer. It's, it's been an acquired taste. Um, obviously, it's the summer. I do a lot of barbecuing. So I still like the, like the, like the flavor of having some barbecue and, and a beer. And um, actually drinking Heineken Zero. Okay. Yeah, we, so, yes. we talked Heine- about this before and I hadn't seen, I'd heard about this beer. Heineken, so I'm excited that you have this. Yeah. Heineken Zero. So, um, you know, I've, I've tried just about every non-elk, you know, beer out there, um, every brand, from every brewery. And um, to be honest with you, there are some that, you know, are okay, kind of similar. And there's some that are really, really bad. I won't name any, any names, but um, mm-hmm. with this Heineken, when I tried this Heineken Zero, um, it tastes just like a Heineken, regular Heineken. Um, it just like that, like, I don't know what they did in terms of the brewing process. Um, you know, as you guys probably know, like the history of the non-alc beer is really mm-hmm. popular in Europe and still are now, and then right. slowly making their way to the U.S. But you know, with, with the Heineken Zero, there is no alcohol content whatsoever, not even the smallest fraction of right. a percent. So it's like some of the other um, non-alc beers, but it it's it tastes really good. Um, you know, I mean, I, I like if probably if I poured a glass to you guys and gave you one with the regular Heineken and one with this one, yeah. you know, you probably you would not be able to tell the difference. Nice. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I, I had heard about this one, and and I've, I'm I, you're the first person I know that's tried it. So I've seen okay. it, and I've talked to people that are, or I haven't talked to anyone about it, but I've just seen it, and I've read some stuff about it. But I'm I'm excited to. It's one I want to try. Yeah. Okay. Well, you. Well, I, I would say if, if you're gonna try one, try the Heineken Zero because you 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 cannot go wrong. Yeah, I'm interested in that one as well because I've had a handful of different non-elk beers before, and the only one that I have found that tastes like actual beer and that is similar to the standard version of that beer is St. Pauli Girl, which is uh, right. St. Pauli. It's a German brewer mm-hmm. and pretty standard German lager and their non-elk version is pretty good. But some of the other ones I've had just have not been very good. So right. to find another beer that the non-elk version that tastes like an actual beer, that's kind of uh, exciting to hear, especially for those that like beer, but they don't drink anymore right. because we, I, I've got plenty of friends that are like that. They love beer, yeah. but they don't, they don't drink beer because of whatever reason it may be. Right. So, so Evan, so besides your good taste in beer, thank you, sir, for bringing that, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what are you about? What's your passion? And, and, and kind of like, let's get to know you. Yeah. So, um, I've been, this is starting my 23rd year in education. Um, so spanning over three decades. Um, I can't, can't believe it's been, it's been that, it's been that amount of time. Um, I was talking to one of my colleagues a couple of weeks ago and I, and we, and we realized that, uh, 
you know, we're no longer like, like the young, like cool, like educators anymore. <laughs> we're, 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 the, we're like the old people who are, who are boring and like, you know, and, and, and very uptight and, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, Dude, I'm I like, just realized it's my, yeah, I just realized it is my 23rd year too. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> Right, no, we're I'm still like, cool. I don't care what anybody says. We're still cool. <laughs> you know, and and I and it's just just some just some perspective taking on on reflecting. Like you know, I think about when I got into the field, and then you know where I am now, and just what I've seen, and you know what what we've experienced, and seeing the evolution of education. Um, you know, it's been it's been interesting, and you know, for me, like right now, this time during COVID has been um, a breakthrough opportunity, I think, for, for education in general, because it's it's kind of it's kind of taking, even though it's like, it's almost seemed like a step back, but you know what, it's mm. almost like it, we had a chance to like blow up what we once knew as education. Right. And now there isn't a blueprint, right? There's, there's like, there's no precedent. So this is a time we can actually really be risk takers. So I'm excited about that, you know, going into year 23. Um, I've also, you know, over my time, I've, I started out as a <clears throat> crisis interventionist and a Okay. And a, a teacher assistant at a therapeutic day school. Um, so for those listeners that may not know, so a therapeutic day school is an alternative high school setting um, or elementary school or middle school setting in which the students um, no longer um, can have the support that's necessary in their homeschool, specifically for behavior um, challenges. Um, the majority of the students have um, individualized education plans. And, um, you know, it's pretty much the kids that, you know, you know, they, they're removed from the setting. Went in for the job interview. My mom was like, hey, um, I know you've always worked well with kids. You want to, you want to, you know, there's a job opening, you know, in the special ed co-op. And I said, sure, I'll go. And, and um, I fell in love from that day on. It was, it was wow. great. It was, it, I think that um, having a perspective of working with those students, right, who traditionally people would think that, oh, you know what, we'll just write them off. You know, they're never going to be able to make it, you know, understanding like a lot of the the challenges that they have in their lives and then knowing that like for them school is so can is that point of consistency and once you build a rapport with those students and build a connection like they will do anything for you right they like the like they're mm -hmm. like they're the ability for them to try things that are new step outside their comfort zone, you know, really put their best effort. Once they know that there's consistency and you're there for them, they'll do anything. So it was a great opening experience for me. And then, you know, I, I eventually uh, went on to, uh, to, to complete my undergrad degree, um, which is in special education and a concentration of bilingual, bicultural, special education, English as a second language. Um, my first job teaching, I was teaching at a um, high school and I was teaching um, what we used to call ED and BD, emotional uh, mm. disabilities and behavior yep. disorders. Um, and it was a self-contained setting. So mm -hmm. at the high school level, you can imagine that, you know, I only yep. had only had 10 students. However, um, there was me and another paraprofessional, but you know, um, you know, 10 students with those needs and challenges, you know, um, is, is pretty much like having 20 or 30 in your classroom. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and yep. managing that. So I think that was a great, um, another great experience for me in terms of learning um, the importance of relationships and rapport and also building building rapport with families as well because you know once once students are in high school you know the families have been with those children since the day they were born so everything that that, that we get a snapshot of 
right. in the class in the classroom in school that's something that that they're always working with and then really mm-hmm. you know understand the parents you know sometimes they're just doing the best that they can yeah. you know for what they know yeah. um it's it's important um so then after that you know I, I i worked in high school you know again teaching special ed learning disability students um at the high school level and then i i got into um uh, into kind of um, administration, mid-management as a dean of discipline at the high school level. So once again, okay. seeing seeing some of those seeing those some of those frequent students that you know always yep. have some more challenging needs, and then um, I got an opportunity to do some community outreach work um, within our district. So um, I was a core core coordinator for a Latino parent outreach program, um, and we had 300 parents come every Saturday. We offered free English classes, um, eight levels of English classes. Um, we had a computer literacy class. We offered free childcare, and we also had guest speakers. So I ran that for a couple years, and then. Um, there's another high school in my district, and I went over to do a similar role there, and I worked with um, our Title I families, um, our um, African-American, Latino population, low-income families as well, and did some work with some mentoring with students, um, created some student mentoring programs for those students, um, some things in terms of helping them to understand college and career readiness and what that looks like, because a lot of them um, would, would be the first to graduate high school and then also potentially go on to college. Um, so do a lot of work around that and also family community engagement. And then um, I got the crazy idea of going back to get a master's degree um, because I think I want a little more torture. And yeah. well, so it was it was it was weird because at the same time I decided to go back to school, my my wife was pregnant with with our son. Um, I had I was still working full time. Uh, I was still the uh, dean of students and decided to do a master's program, um, you know, did it like semester one, semester two through the summer, and then did it again. And um, I think, you know, it was it was a good learning experience for me because that was the first time I, I experienced working full time and also um, doing the balancing or okay. doing, doing, you know, going to school and, and, and furthering my education. And then um, I had, my goal was to become an assistant principal, um, okay. you know, kind of the next, the next step in terms of administration after being a dean. And um, ironically, my district had just hired four new assistant principals at the high school, like oh. the year that, right? <laughs> yep. So, so I was, it was, it was interesting. So I, I was going in my fifth year um, what my, my fourth, it was my tenure year, I finished my fourth year, made tenure. And then, you know, they were like, my, my district had encouraged me to go back. And then they said, you know, Evan, like, we would love to be able to hire you, but we just don't have any positions open. Right. It, was, it was like, well, you know, you can wait for a couple of years, you know, people, right. you know, things happen, whatever. Um, and I said, you know what, I think I kind of want to test the waters and, and see if there's some opportunities. So I did. Um, and the craziest thing is, um, I was, I was, um, applying for assistant principal jobs, um, as well. And I, and, and I would get a call back, you know, just kind of ask some more questions, but, um, mm-hmm. I didn't get many interviews and I saw a job posting for, um, a central office position and okay. the way the job description read, it, it was very similar to assistant principal, kind of the student services and support. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Let me just put my application and see what happens. To my surprise, I got called in for an interview. Um, well, this is like zero, like like principal experience, zero assistant right. principal experience, <laughs> you know. And I get a call in to do an interview for an assistant superintendent, uh, assistant superintendent position. So I'm Ooh. like, yeah, right. So I'm like, right, yeah, yeah. So I'm Ooh. like, yeah, right. So I'm like, 
I'm like, okay, let's go. Um, so the district, the, the, the district, the district was interesting because it kind of fit like everything that I had done up until that time. So it was okay. at the time the district was um, it was 75% African American, 15% okay. Hispanic Latino, um, wow. and then we had like kind of other um, we and our and we had 25% of our student population were English learners. So like mm. one out of four. So that wow. kind of fit what I had been doing with the ESL and bilingual education. Right. And then they were really looking to um, to create a long a stronger family community engagement piece, but <laughs> I was like, okay, great, sounds good. Um, and you know, I went on the interview, and it was, it was the first time I was interviewing like kind of a one-on-one situation. I interviewed with, okay. the, with the superintendent. Oh wow! And yeah, like I mean, you know, to this, you know, she, she eventually became one of one of my you know dearest mentors. And uh, she, like, I tell you, I thought I'd been through the ringer a little bit. But like, that was the most grueling interview <laughs> I'd ever had. And like, you know, she was hard to read, very stoic, like didn't show mm -hmm. any emotion expression on, on like I'd answer questions, no sign of anything. So, you know, right. finished the interview up, said, thank you. I went home and told my wife, she said, oh, how'd everything go? I said, I bombed the interview. I've never mm -hmm. done, I've never, I've never been, <laughs> been so embarrassed about the interview performance in my life. And wow. she said, said, okay, it's okay. You know what, you'll go for other jobs, et cetera. I think like two hours later, I got a phone call and she said, wow. I'll bring you in for another interview. And there were a couple other people that were there and I ended up getting a, getting the job. So Whoa. Like, yeah, yeah. So you so skipped, like, you yeah. like skipped all the. Yeah, yeah, so like. Ooh, in, right to the in, big chair. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, right, it's like literally. So I, and, and just in terms of context, when I got the job, um, I was the youngest assistant superintendent in the state of Illinois. I was 34 years old. Wow. Yeah. So like, um, and not only was I young, but I, you know, I was, I was the only um, African-American man okay. at that age and that time. So like, it was a lot of things. I was kind of the first of a lot of things. And um, I tell you, I learned so much and, right. you know, early on it was like, it was like a crash course. So yeah, as you said, I like skipped all those runs, but like spending the time and like going right into central office administration, like what I learned, like carries me over to this day, right? Because I saw everything. So in this job as assistant superintendent for special services, I oversaw uh, bilingual education, special education, um, English learners, um, early childhood education, um, family community engagement, um, I was the hearing officer for discipline and residency. Um, I was also oversaw, I was also the title one director. Um, I wrote all the, all the grants, the federal grants, um, and state grants for the district. Um, yeah. And that was, that was, that was my welcome into, uh, central office admin. And, but I, like I said, I learned so much, um, you know, and, you know, I, you know, my, my mentor who hired me, she passed away two years ago. And, um, you know, that I was, it was a, it was a big blow to me because she was a person that saw something in me that I didn't obviously mm -hmm. see. She, she knew something and took a chance on me. Um, and I, you know, I will never, ever forget that. And, and to this day, that district is still very near to me. I think of it as my first home, um, in central office. And so, yeah. And then, so I've, so now I have just started July 1st, been my 11th year in central office admin. So I've either been an assistant superintendent or director of special services, um, at the elementary school level or high school level.
Wow. Yep. So that's that, that is, that's my. That, yeah. There's, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so, so, and, so that so so that that's my day job. Um, yeah. And then oh, there's more. There is more. I know you there, do some other stuff, right? There, 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 there's more, and so I know you guys had Hal Al Bowman on um, yep. recently, and like Hal and I are good friends, and 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 Hal always jokes with me and says, "Okay, so." Um, we're going to do Evan Whitehead's intro again, but we're going to cut it short because there's so many things that he does I'll never remember <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I've always had a lot of passion to do things in education. I've always wanted to scale, you know, my work because mm-hmm. I've always felt that, you know, if I have an opportunity to help like one district that I'm working in, I'm sure there's other districts out there that could that, mm-hmm. that need this the support and help as well. Um, so I started doing some independent consulting about probably about 12 years ago. Um, just little things here and there. Someone asked me, hey, you want to come in and do a small workshop? Mm-hmm. What have you? Or, um, you know, small things like that. And then about two years ago, um, I got connected with Dr. Ruby Payne in AHA Process, mm-hmm. who's the author of Framework for Understanding Poverty mm-hmm. and now Emotional Poverty. And um, I met her because um, we were looking to do some things in terms of cultural diversity, um, mm-hmm. um, race, ethnicity, equity. And uh, my superintendent was, you know, was really was really big on making sure that we had some professional development training that was impactful. Um, and because my current district, even though we're uh, 85% African American, um, our teaching population of staff is only has um, has two African American women and one African American man. Um, so, like, so so you can see how like how there are some discrepancies and potential disconnect mm-hmm. by no fault of anyone's own, but just the reality of what it is. Right. So, um, you know, she really wanted to do something in that area, and I said, you know what? Um, I asked if you ever thought about Ruby Payne's work because I always think of that as an entry point to Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, equity, diversity, et cetera, because um, it doesn't talk about race, ethnicity. It talks about income, right? Right. And talks about, you know, socioeconomics and it talks Mm -hmm. about class. And I think that's something that transcends regardless of what Mm -hmm. race you are, what background, right? Um, That's something that exists. And really like those unwritten rules that um, if you're not if you're not involved in those in those segments of society, right. you just don't know. Um, and it was, you know, I had listened to a trainer um, about ten years ago on on the book, um, so I knew of the work. And my superintendent mm-hmm. said, "Well, you know what? I would really like. Is it possible we could actually get Ruby Payne to come and do like our our, our institute yeah. day?" I said. Well, I don't know Ruby Payne, you know, but, you know, she she said, well, I don't want a trainer of trainer. I want the actual author, the person that created it all to come because I think it'd be more impactful. So it was probably around this time, maybe June or July. um, And I said, well, I'll I'll try to work on it. And all I did, I picked up the phone. um, I got the information from from the website online and I called and and said, "Okay." Evan Whitehead. I'm from a small school district right outside the city of Chicago. Um, and I was wondering, you know, about your trainings and is it possible that Dr. Payne could actually come and, and do the training for us? And uh, I said, well, yeah, actually she does do that. And then I said, okay, kind of, kind of told him, you know, our budget and they gave me the price point. And I said, Oh, 
okay, uh, I'll go back and talk to my superintendent and let her and, and, and let her know. And she said, uh, she said, Evan, uh, I want you to, to go back and ask them um, if Dr. Payne would be willing to work with us. Tell them who we are. Tell them we're you know high high low income and we really we really want to work on it and see what happens. I did, and um, you know AHA process was great and, and worked with us. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Payne was phenomenal and approved that because she was really interested and also. She had a connection to the Chicago area because she was a, a an administrator in Chicago for quite some mm -hmm. time in Chicago area. So she was familiar and um, she came and did our, our opening day institute and did a workshop on framework for understanding poverty. Mm -hmm. And at the time, she was just about to launch her new book, Emotional Poverty in All Demographics. Mm -hmm. And she did a little bit of that as well. And. I was the point person from the time we decided to make the connection to she to she got into Chicago and um, and she said, uh, you know, we were talking, we had lunch together and she's like, have you ever thought about like doing consulting work? And I said, oh, a little bit. She said, I have a new book coming out. I'd like you to read the book. Tell me what you think. So I said, okay, you know, and then after she finished her presentation, she, she gave me her card, said, here, call me if you need anything. You know, I'm going to see the book. Give me your address. I said, okay, fine. Now me, I'm thinking, this is Ruby Payne. She's probably does this to everyone, right? Like when you, you know, like that's part, that's part of it, right? She has to be very cordial. Thank you for, you know, she gave us all, you know, books. She signed them for us. I said, great. Read the book, got back to her and called her. She said, well, what'd you think? I said, wow, it's, it's really good. She said, well, I'm looking to create a training and also to have some trainers to facilitate it. Would this be something you'd be interested in doing? And, uh, that's my connection with Repain, and, and since then, so the last two years, I've been a national consultant and presenter for AHA Process and Ruby Payne. Um, she's been a great mentor to me as well, um, and all the work that that she does, and you know, and 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 really working with this, the, the emotional poverty is great, and it's timely, obviously, especially now, um, mm -hmm. what we're talking about, and you know, we didn't know this two years ago, but now, you know, really with everything that's going on, you know, there's a there's a huge disconnect. There's a gap right now because we have this physical distancing going on, but people are still feeling um, isolated, right? Socially and emotionally. And for those students that have already had those challenges in their life and coming from families with challenging backgrounds, right now, more than ever, ever teachers really need to be able to understand those students and, and need tools and tips to work with them as well. So well, the training is, you know, really great. And so I, anytime I'm able to do some training with that, I do that. Um, also, I've been doing some, some other, some other projects as well, you know, kind of meeting some good folks. Um, I am, I do, do have to say, I want to give a big shout out to Twitter because I was one of those educators that, that, that was against social media um, mm -hmm. out of my ignorance. Right. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, and I just got on Twitter um it'll be coming up a year, like October of 2019. And I did not know what a, what a, what a wealth of knowledge, information, you know, connectivity, um, mm -hmm. family, right? Like just, right. you know, it's, it's, I didn't know that the, that the educate, that the education space in Twitter was not like the other social media right. spaces. Um, and people had told me that for a while and I've just kind of like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I did. And it's been the best thing ever for me in mm -hmm. education. Um, it's been great. I, you know, meet great people like you, as I said, Hal, you know, just the list goes on and on that, that, you know, educators just wanting to learn from each other. And the thing about, I love about Twitter is that like, 
it doesn't matter like what your title and role is. So like, as I was joking before, like how like, you know, said, what do you do and all this? It's like, you know, I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher, if you're a paraprofessional, mm -hmm. if you're a parent, right? Prince superintendent, principal, whatever your role is, like Twitter is, in my opinion, the, the epitome of a virtual PLC, right? What mm -hmm. we talk about professional learning communities. Truly we're in that environment, it doesn't matter your role or your title, everyone's equal, right? And we're right. all trying to learn from each other. So for me, I know I tell people all the time, if you're not on Twitter and you're an educator, you know, you're missing out. And because like you, the, the opportunities that are there and the people that you meet, I mean, and as you guys know, I've been able, I've been able to meet people from other parts of the world that I would never met before that are doing some great things in education that have taught me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it just broadened my opportunities for that. So, you know, anytime I get a chance to be on a show, like, like with you guys or, you know, anybody else to just talk about, you know, what I believe in my message. Um, you know, I'm, you know, for me, as I talk, you know, you can tell I'm a big social emotional guy, social emotional learning and mental right. health advocate. And um, so that that's kind of my lane, so to speak. And, um, you know, more recently, I've really been looking at um, that space for the adults, right, in education. Right. Like, what does that look like for us as adults? And that um, educator self-care and wellness to me is so big. Mm -hmm personally for me um you know um through my own challenges you know and how i've overcome some things and now i want to help other educators because you know i think there's this there's a secret like that none of us talk about publicly as educators and it's and it's like this narrative of educators um have to be martyrs right mm -hmm. and like we like as educators we're givers um we're fixers you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're helpers. And sometimes we do so much for everyone else, but we forget about taking care of ourselves, right? By why doing that, you know, right. we feel like it's a competition for us who can stay at work the longest, who can come mm -hmm. in the earliest, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're, if, if you, if you have to take a sick day, is that going to look bad? No, you don't want to do that because now like, you know, you're, you're not being, you're not being a good model. Well, you know, to me, it's like, we're not being good models if we don't take care of ourselves, right? right? If we don't, if like, you know, when you're sick, you're sick, right? And if you right. need that time, you need to take that time. So, so then you can be better for your students, for the parents, you know, that, that rely upon, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just think that like something happened to me and I think it, it has to do with standardized tests um, that have, that forced educators to be like on this like treadmill and always trying to see what's next yeah. and move so quickly because it was like, it's all about the test. It's all about the test right. that I think we put so many other things on the back burner, including our self-care, um, you know, not realizing, you know, what damage that would do for us. And also that, you know, really, if we're not the best, the best people we can be, we're not the best for our students. So our students lose out as well. So um, that's that. That's my. That's me. That's my passion. That's the space that I'm in. And anything I can do to always talk about that and promote, um, you know, uh, self care and wellness, I do that. So, listening to this, this is your 23 years could be a lifetime for five different people. The, I mean, what you have done. Is absolutely incredible <laughs> to to think yeah. you're an associate superintendent at 34 is just I mean I, I'm 38 right now so that I would be almost five years deep into being that if if I was in the same boat as you and uh -huh. that is just unfathomable to me so <clears throat> but I kind of want to understand the origin story a little bit so uh, unfortunately as a black male like yourself 
you're kind of a unicorn in the education space. Right. Um, I, yes. You know, if you look at yes. if you look at the demographics of teachers in the United States, it's something right. like eighty percent of all teachers are women, and right. then only like like two three percent are black males. So it's something yeah. something right. happened in your schooling along the way to inspire you to enter education. Yeah. And I kind of want to know where that came from to, sure. to bring you along this, this path. And then I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on also what as a white male educator like myself, how I can possibly inspire my black mm -hmm. male students to possibly yeah. enter the right. field of education sure. as well. If you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I would say that I was blessed to have a great education, right? In terms of high school, middle school, elementary school. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, in the suburbs of Chicago and um, my parents actually specifically moved to the particular suburbs for the education, right? So even though we may have not had the income level of my peers and the kids I went to school with, you know, um, I was the kid that lived in apartment complexes, right? On the other side of town, you know? So growing up, I was, I grew up with, you know, a lot of people from diverse backgrounds, you know, um, a lot of immigrant families. Um, so for me, my experience, you know, kind of shaped who I am, but, um, you know, for elementary school, you know, this is, we're talking late 80s, late 80s, you know, I was like, I attended a Blue Ribbon school, right? Our district was Blue Ribbon when that, when that, you know, when that, when Blue Ribbon was first coming out, um, high school, same thing, Blue Ribbon. So like, even though like, I never knew, I never knew I'd be sitting right now talking to you about education. Like that was not, I was not one of those people that said, I'm gonna be an educator, I wanna be a teacher. Okay. Um, but what it was is that I had so many great teachers, whether they were coaches, whether they were, you know, just classroom teachers, counselors that were my champion for me. They like, you know, they were, I connected with them, they connected with me, um, that my school experience, I think shaped me to decide to get into education, right? So um, I think, you know, originally I, I, I wanted to like get in, I think I was gonna study like poli-sci, I wanted to go to the law school, et cetera. But um, I think it was like the life lessons that I, that I learned from those people. And, and these are teachers, you know, you know, that didn't look like me. So I didn't have my first, black male teacher until college okay so like all through you know i'm going so i didn't see anyone that looked like me at all um and i i had a black woman teacher who was my homeroom teacher in seventh grade and that's it i didn't have it for any other classes so you know i'm just i say that because these are just good people right regardless of like their race ethnicity etc that cared about kids and i think that showed me um, that it's that it's that it's possible. So that's that's why I got into education. And then once I once I knew, and you know, you know, Kyle, you talked about some of the some of the data around it, right? It was like, man, I it's almost like I don't have any other choice, right? How can I not? How can I not do this, right? Because if 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 I didn't have a black male teacher until I was an adult in college, right? Why would I then like? Why wouldn't I want someone else to have a different experience than I did, you know, mm -hmm. so that they could see me, so I could see that it's possible. And, and it's funny that like, even before I became a teacher, 
you know, I kind of, you know, they, they talk about like, you know, kind of dress for the part that you want to have, not that you currently have. That's what I would do, you know, and I would, I would, you know, I would, you know, not dress too formal, but, you know, they would see, they wouldn't see me dressed as if, you know, I'm only a teacher's aide or, or a paraprofessional, it doesn't right. really matter, right? And then when I started, when I got in the classroom, I made it a point that I would wear a shirt and tie at least once a week, mm-hmm. just because I wanted those students to see, you know, a black man dressed that way, right? And it wasn't right. just for the, for the black students and students of color, it was for the white students as well, right? right? Because that learning goes on, you know, for everyone. So I wanted to, wanted to do that. And that was, that was kind of my push. And then as I got more into education, I start realizing, okay, I'm not, I'm not the average normal, like people don't think like me, right? Like I, I thought, I thought everybody, like, I thought everybody was kind of like, Hey, let's try to do this. Let's, let's think outside the box. And I realized, wow, no, that's not really our profession. And, um, you know, I wanted to make a difference, right? I want to do more. And I realized that like, you know, if you want to make change, you have to be a decision maker. You have to at least be at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not at the table, you know, for those conversations, then it's hard to make an impact. Because at the end of the day, someone has the ability to, to like, you know, stop something or either push something through that you want to do. Right. And you want to at least be able to have those conversations. Um, and even if it doesn't get through, at least so people have a, have a different perspective. And that's right. important. So I think that's, that's, you know, kind of why I decided to do that. And then in terms of like, when I, you know, the question you asked about like, what can you do as a, as a white, you know, man, in terms of the black students that you teach, I get that question a lot from, from a lot of like, you know, um, my, my colleagues, like, okay, Evan, I want to do more. What can I do? Like, you know, I feel like I need to be doing more. And, and I just go back to what I told you is like, you know, be that person for that student that they may need, right? Be authentic, be genuine, right? And like, you don't have to go above and beyond and do more than you, than you once did, right? If it's, if at the end of the day, if you're a good person and you really care about human beings, right? People will see that within you mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, to me, you know, and this is my personal opinion, right? I've seen it like, we know what's happened over the last couple of months, right? right? We've seen everything that, that has taken place. And um, it's a tough time, you know, right now, because this is something that has been boiling like in the United States for, for centuries, but really hasn't come to a head like this. And I think people want to do more and they want to, and they want to have an impact. But to me, I like consistency, right? Um, There's, there's a colleague of mine. um, Her name is Kavita Tana. She works with a great group called Inspire Citizens. And she always talks about consistency, right? So I, so it's important because what I want to see is this, if, if you were my friend and my colleague or you're my teacher and you always looked out for me, right? And I knew that prior to all this, you don't now have to like go above and beyond and do something extra that you wouldn't have done before, right? You don't have to like, you know, I'm not expecting people that aren't typically vocal to now all of a sudden be on the front lines and, and you know, and like be, be vocal about a cause that they just may not be familiar with, but now they think they have to do something. I would prefer that if you're going to be my friend or you're going to be an ally, just be the person who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Be there, right? You know, ask questions. Like to me, that like you asking that question, Kyle, is a huge step, right? Because now you're, that that shows your self-awareness and your social awareness as well to say, hey, I don't know, but you know what, I'm gonna ask. 
right? I, I, I prefer that than someone, you know, assuming that the answer is to act a certain way because they right. see other people doing that. Because to me, that's, that's not authentic. And, and, you know, I've been talking to people. I started when, like, when everything was going about a month ago, you know, I wasn't very vocal in terms of like, you know, you know, I, I made my statements obviously, but I didn't, I didn't push really hard right. because that's not me. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, that's not me, you know, and, and, and the conversations I, I would have was, was like, you know, I would say I'm waiting to see the stamina that everyone has. Right. Because mm -hmm. right, right now, let's let, let's be honest. Okay. We have COVID that was going on. Right. Everyone's been in the house. Right. right? Can't get out, you know, kind of, bundled up energy can't go anywhere okay right people aren't people aren't physically at work so they have time on their hands okay my thing is okay let's see how long we like people have the energy to complete this right are they going to continue it is it is it going to be like trendy and it's going to be a fad and is and people and like people are going to get on board but then when when they feel oh well it's not really getting the publicity that it once did are we still going to see the same things now and that's and that that's that's as i say as a country okay mm -hmm. not individuals as a country now fast forward right july 16th mm -hmm. 2020 okay i am not seeing the same presence right publicly that i mm -hmm. saw two weeks ago that i saw a month ago Right. Mm -hmm. And and so I so that's when it goes back to the consistency and being authentic. Like, right, you have to train for anything that you do just like you work out. Like you can't all of a sudden decide I'm gonna go run a marathon and you haven't you haven't worked out in 30 years, right? That's that's what this that's what this whole piece is about, right? Like social justice and fighting for equity and and causes, that's a lifetime journey, right? Like you know, right. and, and, and I applaud people for bringing awareness. I applaud people for reading books. I, I, I love it because that's, a, that's awareness. However, that doesn't make you, you know, all of a sudden overnight be ready to take on a challenge like social justice issues, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my, my fear, my fear has been that when the school year starts in the fall, that people are going to be asked to facilitate conversations, to do professional development, to do right. training, regardless if they're black or white. And, and I don't think that they're gonna be equipped to do that because that is a skill set. That's that has to right. be in your personality, in your DNA to do that. And I don't and 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 when that happens, there can be more harm than good, even though it's well intended. But if the right. level of readiness is not there for, for people to engage in that type of dialogue, because it's heavy, it's deep. Like there's like, mm -hmm. like once you, there's, there's no such thing as I'll just dip my, dip my toe in and test the waters. Like right. once you're in, you're in. And you know, you don't know the reactions that people are going to have because it's, there's going to be a lot of um, emotion based right. out of that. And, and I just, you know, I just want, I just want educators out there and, you know, leaders on the leadership side, I want leaders to be mindful that, Hey, you know what? Even though you may have that staff member of color, that doesn't mean that they're also a facilitator of content to help navigate this, right? right. That's not their job, right? You know, if you wouldn't ask 
a, a white staff member to do something else above and, above and beyond. You shouldn't ask right. them. It's not fair to them. On the other side, I want educators to, to be comfortable and be safe enough to say, you know what? I don't, I don't feel comfortable about going in that space. Like be able right. to say that to their, to their, to their supervisors, to their, you know, building admin or central office admin, um, just saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I read a book. Maybe we can do a book study, but I don't feel comfortable in, in going to the next level of trying to facilitate a dialogue, doing a town right. hall meeting with our families, like having, mm -hmm. having a peace circle with our students. Like that's, you know, those, those are, those are skills that need to be honed and they need to be delivered by someone that's, that's skilled and trained to do that. Well, and I think, I think like what I'm hearing you saying is like, these are definitely conversations that have to happen, but you have to be aware of, of the time and or, or, not even the time, just the, the, well, I guess it is the amount of time that this will take to, to, to move yes. this forward and, and introduce. Cause, and I know, I know just thinking about my own work and what I've done and, and, and I was very fortunate to, to be a part of a group that we started talking about equity and, and we are a, a high minority di district um Latino um not as many African American but we realize yes we have it, it's the same thing Kyle's talking about like like kids aren't seeing a representation of themselves within their teaching staff but then when you have those conversations with people it is very uncomfortable for people and I think you know what you're describing is exactly right I just putting putting saying to somebody okay here's a book go read the book and then go facilitate this conversation I, I've seen that blow up just blow up so i guess my question to you would be like like what is a good entry point like if you're like like i'm a building principal i know i have these issues and we we have to confront them you know like my wife's my wife was a principal and now special education director but she we talk about like she looked at her dad in her school and he said why are all my african-american boys being suspended like that's a conversation we have to have end of story right. and people were like freaking out and she's like well here's your data so let's okay. talk about that i mean so if you're in that situation how how would you suggest you how do you start that well i think i think you know first and foremost you know there's there's two things we like culture and climate and um mm -hmm. safety within that right and so i think that this is this is the one time where you know before everything's like based on it like there's an academic push and i get that there's always mm -hmm. student achievement however you know those organizations that have focus on culture and climate are right for that work right now right? right because you're not trying to do it after the fact you've already built that social capital so to speak right. to have those conversations and to me i say data is a great entry point right mm -hmm. because now you know it is what it is like, i know you can right. people can try to spend data what have you but at the end of the day right the data speaks for itself and then right. you begin to ask the questions why like Okay, you know, very simple, you know, um, like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a tool called the five whys, right? You ask, you ask why, why five times and eventually you try to get to the root cause. And that's, and that's something that I think is, is helpful. Um, the other part is, you know, there are people that have the capacity to do this work, right? right. Um, and doing your research on people who are skilled to do that, who are qualified, but also that'd be a good fit for your district, right? So I think right. the starting point is always data. Um, finding the research and someone that's out there can do that. But also there, there are other things that you can do that start the conversation. Like, you know, like there are book studies. Book studies are, are, book studies are great because you know why? Like they're, if they're voluntary, 
right? Right. If it's a mandated book study, <laughs> it's a compliance measure, right? right? So, so all, all you administrators out there that are listening, do not mandate a book study. It's about right. personal growth. Because if you mandate it, it's, it's like you yep. said earlier, it's going to blow up in your face. Don't, yeah. Do not do that. Um, book studies are great, you know, because it truly the people that want to be there are there, right? right. The people that want to learn, learn. And, and we know that there are those people that are, that, that are really like, you know, cogs in the wheel and they have connections mm -hmm. to other people. And that begins to move out and do that. The other, the, the other part is, is that, um, you know, think about those people that have always had those conversations and spoke about things of equity, social mm -hmm. justice, right? Beforehand, those are the people that you want to tap into. Right. Those right. are the people that, that, that are willing to step out. They may have resources right there out there. Mm -hmm. Social media, Twitter space is phenomenal. Right. You know, and looking for the people that once again, like have the track record of doing this beforehand, not right. the people that are jumping on right now, because once again, that that can be very dangerous. But there, right. there are people that that have been doing this, that have a great reputation, have a great reputation working with the school district. And like, you know, like I said earlier about how our school district is not represented, teaching staff is not representative of a student population. You have to have the type of trainer facilitator that gets that as well, right? Right. I wanna thank you for sharing that because like you said, it's a difficult question, it's a difficult conversation. And I asked the question because just in our talk before we went live and then throughout this conversation so far, I, I was, I felt safe enough to ask the question and a lot of people are going to have questions, but they're not going to feel safe enough to ask those questions. Uh, you know, if I think back in my experience years ago when um, the, the, the man was killed in Ferguson, Missouri, Mm -hmm. And there was the, the, yep. the riots that took place. Or, I don't want to say riots. That's not the right word. Mike Brown. Uh, yep. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. The, the riots is not the right word. I apologize for that. But I can remember saying something about it on Facebook, I believe. And somebody that I grew up knowing and respecting, somebody that, was, I, uh, that I looked to as a pillar of the community, called me out on Facebook, completely ripped me, our, ripped me apart as a person, like on a personal level about how wrong I was to take a stand against it and everything. And I completely shut down because of that, because of my experience with what was said to me. And, and I've told myself that I'm not going to let that ever happen again. And this time I've been more courageous in asking questions and in speaking out this time around. And I don't want to say not caring about what people say, but at the same time, I'm trying not to be afraid to be called out and I'm not afraid to be uncomfortable and more people need to be uncomfortable in these situations with these conversations because they are hard. They're very hard. And, and I've actively been trying to read more and learn more and have those conversations. And I'm hoping if you're listening right now that you're going to do the same thing because this is, ex this is what needs to happen in order to address these things. So, so Evan, as we move, as we think about whatever uh, school is going to look like for people as we, in the next month or two, I mean, when you think about like, what would you say, I, I mean, you talked a little bit about the social, emotional and the mental health piece of it. I mean, do you feel that, do you feel that that 
like like where should schools put their energy i guess is what i'm saying there's going to be a tendency i'm already i'm already hearing it where they're like kids didn't go to school for three months let's we got to remediate we got to teach 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 and i, I and, and as a as an administrator i'm like i just need you all to come back and be okay like let's just be okay so i mean what are your thoughts on that um first and foremost i think that you know we have to think about the, the idea of people are going to be uncomfortable about the unknown, right? right. This is like, it's, it's natural. So we're, we aren't robots. So, so let's, let, let's put that to the side, right? Mm -hmm. There have been, there has been events that may have been traumatic for some people, whether it's COVID, whether it has been what has happened in terms of, um, you know, the death of George Floyd, um, and then that replay, you know, right. looping on the media and people seeing that, you know, um, people have had all type of experience with COVID, whether they lost family members, people lost right. jobs, et cetera. You know, it's okay for people to feel uneasy right now, right? We, we shouldn't act like everything's fine, right? And mm -hmm. that's, that's, that, that's that mask, right? That, that imposter syndrome that, that you know, I think as I was going back earlier talking about, you know, the idea of, you know, we have to be martyrs in education. Like right now, everybody's a little uneasy. Like we don't know if you're, you know, some districts have decided they're going to go back, you know, full with some variations. Right. Some, some have said hybrid, some have said we're going to do full remote. Like, you know, it's Jul the middle of July right now. You know what I mean? Like it's like school, school is next month, you know, typically. Yep. And, you know, it's okay for people to be uneasy, but, you know, for me, I'll go back to, we need to make sure that the adults are okay, okay. right? Because, because they're, you know, the adults are going to be the ones that will be, lead, be leading the charge. The adults are going to be right. the ones that are, that are managing everything, right? And if, and if we forget about, you know, ch and checking on our adults, like what's going on, like, you know, making these connections, like, I think this is, this, this summer, if people have not done it, and I'm talking like administrators and leaders, mm -hmm. if you have not checked in with your teachers because you thought, oh, it's summer, I want to give them a break. I don't want them to think that I'm, you know, I would, I would strongly encourage you to do that tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know, because um, I know that there are staff members in my district that um, have barely left their home during mm -hmm. COVID, right? um for whatever reason right there there are people that have lost family members or people right. that that have gotten sick so let they'll check on your staff members please do you know um in the spring during covid um we started there was a program that that a partner and i started and we piloted in our district and basically what we did is we provided um you know some some sel support for our staff members mm -hmm. um during the remote time. So we started it. Um, so teachers were scheduled to start teaching at um, nine o'clock in the morning. Right. So from 8.30 to 8.55, um, twice a week, we had a um, keynote speaker come in and talk about social emotional learning well-being, kind of giving that boost to them. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, we called the Alphabetic Survival Guide to COVID-19. We just want to do that. So we went through the entire alphabet we had speakers come in um, and we just gave them a little boost. And then the speakers talked about encouragement, inspiration, just to move on and move forward. And they were from all over. Um, they were from all over the world that we had. And we really want to do that because we knew that teachers needed something. 
Like right. no one was talking about the adults. They forgot all about the adults. It was, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, minimizing the importance of students, but like, if you don't have the adults in your building, you can't run school, right? It doesn't matter. Like you like it. So um, we did that and we found that it, that it works. So I would say, one, check on your adults. So what are you doing? What are you going to be doing for the social emotional well-being for the adults as well when the school year starts, right? Mm -hmm. um, allow grace during this time, right? Um, this transition, whatever you're going to do. Um, the next part is, yes, the social emotional well-being of students. How do you mm -hmm. plan to actively engage students in whatever setting you're going to happen, right? If you're in person, we know that that's going to, that learning environment is going to look very sterile than 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 we than we had like so this idea of going back to school in person it's not going back to school in person when it was january february right this is this is like you know august 2020 and the pandemic is still going on and more people are getting sick you know every day so like we're losing a lot of the things that that students need like you know recess for the younger ones right uh, eating in the cafeteria, right? Um, you know, physical education classes that that need to take place outdoors that that can't take take place indoors. I think those are some of the things that um, we have to understand: is how are we going to make sure the students have that social emotional connection for the, with their peers and their teachers during that time? So, and if it's remote, look, the remote learning that 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 we'll be doing now is remote learning. Before we were doing crisis learning. So like, what can we do, you know, like, like, let's, let, let's be honest about that. You know, everyone let's, let's call it what it was like, you know, basically school was, was closed, shut down. Teachers had to grab their belongings, whatever they could like yell, you know, yeah. and then go home and then kind of like, you know, great. If they had a space to, if they had a space to work, that'd be great. If they didn't have a space to work, well, you know, they had their laptop, what have you, but you know, it was, it was, it was tough. Now we have to be intentional about um, making sure we're engaging our students, making sure we're checking in on our families, making sure our students are okay and have what they need and putting some of the academics secondary, right. For the start, start of the school year, because like right now, that's not the priority, right? If for students are thinking about other things, other things on their mind and they're not present, then they're not gonna do any work anyway. So let's make sure we're doing that, making sure that, that we're working with our students to see if they're okay. And then giving them time to interact with their classmates too, right? You know, there are so many platforms that we have now that you can have students have, a, have some social time with their peers in a, in a breakout room. Right. Right. Like, like it doesn't have to be academics like for the entire class period. Give them that time to do that. Give them time to socialize. Look, as adults, we're the ones that aren't used to operate like this. Right. The kids right. play video games all the time. They're, they're used to this. Like they're so far ahead of us. You know, like like let's let's capitalize on what they already right. know and build on it. And how can we infuse it in that? And then, you know, for me, I, I, I always say that. Social emotional learning is not a content area and it's not a subject area of its own. You have to, in, you know, it has to be woven into what you do in the way that you do business. And it's not, it's not a canned curriculum, right? It's the little things that we all know we're supposed to do, right? Start at a school day, if we're in person, we always wanna make sure we're greeting our students when they come in the door, right? You know, are we, are we out in front of our classroom door? 
before school, after school? Are we present? Are we saying, how about hello, good morning to our students, right? Small things like that, every point of contact we have with students and every point of contact we have with, with each other as adults, those are opportunities to foster social, emotional well-being mm -hmm. and learning. And then using all of this as what we used to call a teachable moment, that's SEL. And how can we do that, you know, on a daily basis? Because um, it's, it's, you know, we don't want it to be hard. We don't want to add something onto anyone's plate. Right. But we just want to be able to recognize where those opportunities are and then capitalize on them. One, I love that, like what you said, it's not, the whole idea of SEL and those kind of things is not, we're not, it's not, it's not math and then science. And now we're going to do SEL. And, right. then, and, I, and I think you're right. It is that the entire piece of the day and beyond that day for mm -hmm. your kids and your for your staff. So thank you. I, I think that's super important for us to remember. Now, Evan, where can listeners connect with you on Twitter or any of the other places sure. that you are out there? Sure, sure, sure. So um, if on Twitter, that's that's my main home on social media. You can connect with me um, at. Evan Whitehead, all together at E V A N W H I T E H E A D zero zero at Evan Whitehead um, zero zero zero. Also, I'm on Boxer at um, E capital E capital W zero zero. Um, and on Twitter, you can follow me on the hashtag Balance Boundaries and Breaks, my three B's, um, which is basically you know um, my keys to success. They help me out and I kind of spread that around. It's, you know, making sure that you balance the time, energy, and efforts into people, projects that are going to be reciprocal. Um, and make sure that you also practice your your own boundaries and not necessarily the boundaries of others, but your own and being willing to say no because you can't be everything for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is breaks is um literally taking that pause, you know, and and allowing yourself to reflect, right? We we do so much when we move so quickly all the time. You know, we forgot how important it is to just be still at times mm -hmm. and, and kind of allow your thoughts to go and to think and to process instead of trying to always turn something over quickly, just doing that. And, and for me, I know that it's important to, to do that. Um, and my three Bs is just, you know, kind of rooted in mindfulness uh, meditation mm -hmm. and dialectal behavioral therapy. And, you know, it's just kind of, kind of another piece of my message that I like to spread when I'm talking to folks. That's awesome. No, thank you so much. I think those are, those are all super important. So Kyle, how can, uh, how can people keep this conversation going? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a conversation that needs to be continued from this point forward. So um, what you can do is you can keep the conversation going by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us at beeredupod and then also hashtag Beer EDU Pod. Hit us up on Facebook at Beer EDU Podcast. That's all one word. Follow us on Instagram at Beer EDU Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash Beer EDU YouTube. Uh, it's really right now just a lot of our episodes just in right. video format at this point. Just another outlet for us to get our message out there. Uh, follow Evan again. Make sure you're, you're yep. getting on the Twitter and on Boxer and following Evan. Uh, you can send us a voice message using the Anchor app. Uh, leave us a review wherever you're listening to your podcast. We would love to have more people find it based on your review. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, visit our website, beeredupodcast.com. Click on the contact and subscription info link and complete our guest form and we'll get you on the show as well. 
Yeah, for sure. I want to keep this conversation going. And yeah, Kyle, I kind of like three under the bus there because my notes all just closed. So I'm like, oh, I have no idea what the email is or anything. <laughs> so I should know these things, but we, I yeah, <laughs> say you think we know these things by heart by now, but still, even I even stumbled these. a second uh, because I was scrolling through the notes looking to where we have those things because I'm like, wait, what are we saying when we do this part? So <laughs> I can't even find the notes. I just yeah. have the Zoom screen up. I don't yeah. know. You yeah. think you'd think I've done enough Zoom meetings and everything that I would be so good at this. Yeah. But I am not. Well, so, you'd think on episode 79 we'd have it down pat, but no, we yeah. are learning as no. we go. That's what we do. That's what we're about. So hey, this Evan, stick around. This is the part where we're gonna do some learning about. And this okay. this ties into to Kyle, your beer. And I'm super excited about this one. We talked a little bit about this one before the before the show. We yeah, recording. so you know, just kind of talking with Evan a little bit before and in the weeks leading up to our recording and then in the moments beforehand, I really got thinking about uh, just the topic that Evan was excited to share with us. And, and really, I'm like, well, you know, we, we need to have a learn about that kind of either ties mm-hmm. to the topic or something in that because I knew he was going to wow us. We got to wow him as well. So and um, it, it's it, it was something that just it came about almost like it was it was almost destiny, I think, at this point. So and right now. There is a beer that is available at a lot of breweries around the country and actually around the world. There are 19 different countries that have breweries that are brewing this beer. And that is the beer that I had at the beginning of the show, the Black is Beautiful from Bad Beat Brewing. So now that does not mean that Bad Beat Brewing is sending this beer worldwide. What this is, Black is Beautiful Imperial Stout was created by a brewery in San Antonio, Texas called Weathered Souls. Uh, this is a black-owned brewery in San Antonio, Texas, which I've never been to San Antonio. I've heard so many great things about that city. Wow. I need to get there. I have a friend that was just there a while back and brought me some local beers from San Antonio. And now I really want to go to Weathered Souls because what Weathered Souls did was, uh, and I'm just going to read this verbatim from their website, was they brewed this beer black is beautiful as a quote collaborative effort to raise awareness for the injustices people of color face daily and raise funds for police brutality reform and legal defenses for those who have been wronged. And you can find more info about this at the website black is So not.com dot beer. So we, um, maybe we need to wow. buy a domain that's dot beer yeah. at this point. So, so what they did was they took this recipe, they brewed it, and they've been selling it out of their brewery in San Antonio. And then they basically put it out to the public and said, brewers, I w- we want you to brew this beer as well. Put your own twist on it. Do what you would like to do with it off the base uh, recipe. But promise that you're going to donate proceeds to organizations that fight for equality and commit to long-term fight for equality. Okay, don't just brew this beer, make some money, and then call it a day. So as we record this in mid-July of 2020, over a thousand breweries in all 50 states in the United States have done a variation of this beer. And like I said, there are 19 different countries where there is a brewery that has also created this beer. So, and what's nice is if you go to that website, blackisbeautiful.beer, there's actually Mm -hmm. a sortable list where you can go in and put in your state and it'll list every brewery in the state that has that beer and where it's at so you can actually find it near you. So oh, okay. just in the Las Vegas area where I'm at, there are 10 breweries in Las Vegas alone that have done this. 
Yeah, and, and I, we had talked about one up here in Reno Revision, and there might be more, and I have to look. Right, and um, and Evan, I know you being in the Chicago area, I kind of looked ahead too, and there okay. are several in the Chicago okay. area that have done this as well. Great, so, great, um, great. Yeah, that would definitely, I'll definitely do, look it up and then send them out to my to my to my friends and family. Um, for sure, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what this also did was when I was um, looking up the info on this. I, I kind of wanted to know too, how many black owned breweries are really out there in the United States? So, and so I, I did a little digging and there's a, there was a blog post on beersfundamental.com uh, that was written back in June. So very recently. And according to this blog post, there are about 60 black owned breweries in the country. So um, that number has increased over the last decade or so. So it used to be a very minuscule number um, and 60 sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about the entire craft beer movement in the United right. States, it's only about 1% of all breweries in the U.S. Mm. So it's a very, very small percentage of breweries that are actually owned by black owners. So um, with that, I've put a link in our show notes to that blog post at beersfundamental.com. Uh, right. It actually gives you the list, again, of all the breweries in the United States that are owned by a black owner. And uh, that way you can look it up and uh, go and patronize these breweries and support uh, these uh, gentlemen and ladies that are working to put great beer out into the world. So, so between the Black is Beautiful beer and this list of Black-owned breweries out there, there's no reason for you to not be able to go out and find a great beer and support right. a great cause at the same time. Awesome. No, I think that's super cool. And I know people are looking for ways to, to help members of their community and, 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 and those kind of things. So I think this is a good, a good way to, to help people, you know, find those, find those, those independent brewers that are doing this work. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I did a little looking on my own end and the closest black owned brewery to me in Las Vegas is in Cedar city, Utah, about two and a half, three hours away Ben, okay. there's none in Reno, but San nope. Francisco, um, there yep. is a, there's a couple of breweries in the San Francisco right. Bay area. And then Evan looking in the Chicago area, there's a lot of black owned breweries in the Chicago area. And then okay. also in Merrillville, Indiana and okay. Gary, Indiana, there are okay. also black oh, owned breweries okay. there too. Wow. So, oh, okay. Yep. So, and, um, I actually, I know Merrillville a little bit. My parents used to live in a small town on the other side of the border in Illinois, the, where that's more where my mom used to go shopping was in Merrillville. Oh, so. in Merrillville. <laughs> so. you know, do you want to hear something super funny is my daughter's best friend was in Merrillville living for a while and my daughter went to visit her. <laughs> she oh. goes, I don't think I want to live in the, I don't think I like it here. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, yeah, just, I would say, yeah, it's just a, you know, pretty typical small Midwestern town. Yeah. Small you know, Midwestern yeah. town. Yep. So if you're used to the, to the West Coast or the mountain desert life, yeah, uh, yeah you're probably she not going like, to no. like No, it was way yeah, different. So. And, and it was winter. Oh, <laughs> like a yeah, real yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah. Like a real winter. No, no, not, not a lot. Probably not a lot of snow, but then there's that uh, nice lake effect that comes off yes. Lake Michigan. Yeah. The, uh, when, it, when it says it's 10 degrees out, but the wind chill is minus 40. Yeah. yeah. So, right? Yeah. Mm, yes, I remember. I, I've been to Chicago in March. That is the coldest I've ever been as a human. <laughs> so, well, well, yeah. So, like I said, um, you know, great, great reason to go out and find some great beers yep. um, based off of uh, what we found here today. And like I said, this 
this version by Bad Beat is phenomenal. And now I got to go track down the other nine breweries in Las Vegas that are doing it. There we go. You got a mission, man. Well, Evan, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing, you know, your journey with us. I think your journey is amazing. And that is, that is one of the, <laughs> I have so many other questions. We could do another show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, and, but thank you again. And I, I think your message is super important. And, and especially, you know, that SEL piece, I, I, I can't stress it enough. I think people out there listening is, you know, we are, we're very concerned about our kids. We're very concerned about our families, but definitely be concerned, you know, about your teaching partner next door. And, and, you know, if your administrators check in on your staff, check in on your staff for sure. So thank you again. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, listeners, as always, Thank you for joining us. We got episode 80 coming at you next. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on.